0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Hey, let's give Ashley a hand. So that's Ashley Santana. She um, is married to Jose Santana, our new family ministry director. Uh, We're so thankful that they're here and their kids and their family. Um, So we uh, are excited to dive in today. So we have been walking through the book of Ephesians little by little. So if it's your first time here today, uh, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, But we wanna take the word of God and we wanna go through it. And so hopefully today you don't hear uh, my thoughts, but that you hear God's word to your heart and your mind. And so we've been kind of walking through it Somewhat slowly. Um, so we started in January and we're only up to chapter 2, verse 19. And today we're just going to land in verse 19 of chapter 2. Does that sound good? Awesome. We're going we're to break down. We're in this mini series within the series of Ephesians called United. Because this whole passage of scripture, if you uh, have been here week after week, you've been kind of noticing over the last six weeks, we're reading the same passage over and over and over again. Why? Because there's so much goodness in these verses. Um, And so we're in this series United because that's kind of the whole theme that we're speaking about here is what it looks like to have a church that is united, a people that is united. And so we've been talking about how Jesus came to tear down the walls of hostility between us and him. So there was a wall of hostility because of sin between us and him, and also between us and other peoples. And so in context to this passage, we're talking about Jews and Gentiles. So there was a, a wall of hostility between the Jews of the day and the Gentiles, pretty much everybody else that wasn't Jewish of de- Jewish descent. Um, but we experience that in our world today. We experience disagreement and dissension between people groups. We're seeing that in Russia. We saw that here in America, right? we, we were seeing that throughout generation after generation. But Christ came to tear down those walls, to completely remove those walls so that we can be united. And so now we get to dive in and jump in to verse 19. Sound good? All right, grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to have a Bible. If you don't take notes, I would love you to take notes. Hopefully you got a handout when you first walked in. Um, those handouts are, uh, have some fill in the blanks, so hopefully you can follow along with that. So let's look at verse 19. So this is coming right after last week where we we're talking about now we have access through the Spirit, by the Father, through Jesus Christ. Now verse 19, chapter 2. So then, since we have this access, since we have now been made one, since God sent Jesus to tear down the wall of hostility, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So we're going to break this down kind of in three different parts. So the first part where he says you are no longer strangers and aliens. Well, that assumes something. That assumes what we've just read in context all up into this point. That at one point you were a stranger and an alien, right? That's what it's. The, the, so we were once strangers and aliens. There was a transformation that took place. Uh, students, where you at? Where are my students at? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hop high. Let's hear it for the students. All right. Uh, who is done with school? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you're done with school, you were at one point, uh, say, a fifth grader, but then school's over. So then now you are a sixth grader. That, that's the transformation I said. You were once something, and now you're something else. When Lauren and I got married, her, She was a DeAngelis before we got married. Then we got married. She was once a DeAngelis, now she is a Vecchio. There's a transformation that took place. And so we're seeing that transformation, but it's in such a greater magnitude than going from one grade to another or graduating from college or getting married. Like this is huge because you were once dead and now you are alive. And so this contrast between how we interpret this, like the word strangers and aliens, I think when we even hear that word alien, like we have pictures that conjure up in our minds, correct? Right, so I think in context, it's very different than what you and I may be picturing. I'm a visual person, so I'm reading it, Like, right? So we're gonna play a little game. Who, who's with me, wanna play a game? All right, let's play a game. Um, I'm gonna put some, a picture on the, on the screen and I want you to yell out who you think it is. All right, here we go, uh, go. E.T. All right, who loved that movie? Oh, uh, awesome. Okay. Uh, all right, next one. See, see who's really good at this. Job of the Hut. Some of you are like, what? Um, but you, you gotta. <laughs> so good. All right. Now I did this one for my daughter because I know she loves this. So here we go. Ready? Who's this? Oh, Baby Yoda. Oh. Um. <laughs> the the picture here. Is not this. (laughs) This is not the picture you should have in your mind. In fact, it should be actually very, very different. This is the picture that you should have in your mind someone who is homeless, without a home. Someone who is, look at the next one, a refugee. Someone who is, the next one, an immigrant. That's actually what these words would have meant back in this context. Look at, look at what this language points us to. Because this language does not point us to what is fake like baby Yoda. But it actually points us to something that's very, very real. Our reality before we came into relationship by Christ. Before he called us and invited us into relationship with him. Here's what it means. The word strangers translates the plural form of the word xenos, a person who lived in a foreign land without any rights except for those given by a treaty. Aliens is from the plural of the term paraikos, a resident alien, one who lived more permanently in a foreign country than xenos but only had a few rights. So this is what the Gentiles were experiencing in that day. It was almost like they didn't belong. Anybody ever feel like they're in a place where they just don't belong? we have this desire within us that God has placed to belong we desire to be known we desire to be loved and so here there's this contrast between Jew and Gentile sin has caused all people to be separated from God which means with God we have no rights we have no relationship we have no inheritance to the things of God then he sends Jesus. So at once we were strangers and aliens. See, in Ephesians 2.12, which we read a little bit ago, there's, there are these words that we saw maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago, that says, remember, you were once separated. You were once alienated. You were once strangers. You once had no hope, and you were without God. We cannot forget that for every single person in this room, every single person, even if you were born into a Christian home, even if you were born a pastor's kid, that we were all once separated from God. King David said we were born into sin. The Bible over and over again talks about how that sinful nature dwells within us from birth. And so we are born not knowing the goodness of the Lord but he calls and woos and invites us into relationship with him. So, remember, we can't we can't forget. Remember that you were once separated alienated strangers, had no hope and were without God. But what does this verse say? And that's that's why I love I get to just like break down one verse, right? Verse 19, because this is good news. You are no longer a stranger. You are no longer Alien. So, how does this happen? God, the creator of all things, has wooed you. He has begun to reveal to you that he is good and his mercy endures forever. And for some of us, that wooing happened in some really bad times. That wooing happened when we were at the bottom For some of us, he's still doing that. For some of us, he's still inviting and calling and tugging and pulling and trying to reveal his goodness to you. For some of us, he just blew our eyes wide open one day. And for some, it was this gradual just awakening that God has just stirred something in us over the course of time. And so he has done this. I love Job 36, 16. It's actually the only friend that Job had that didn't get um, disciplined by God. And he says this to Job. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. You are no longer a stranger. You do belong. And he is inviting you to join him at his table to eat and to feast on his goodness by grace through faith. That's big. Because it has nothing to do with your Your morality. See, we in our culture somehow have created this religion of Christianity that rests all on our morality. If I do something, God will love me. But that's not what Scripture says. That's what Paul, just the whole beginning part of chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians, he goes and he says, By grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing." You can't like jump up and down with good deeds and get God to love you. He already loves you. In your shame, in your guilt, in your brokenness, He loves you deeply and He wants a relationship with you. But this plays out in belief and surrender. And I think sometimes we often think that our faith is very passive, but our faith is actually very active. There's, there's an active side of our faith that is not because I have to, but because it's because I desire to. Look at Romans nine ten. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, what is that word? Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, and what's that word? Saved. We see in Scripture over and over again these descriptors. Savior and Lord. And so one of the things you may have heard, maybe if you've been to a church event, or maybe you went to youth camp one time. Anybody go to youth camp? Right? You, 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 you hear, like, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. I don't know why we say it that way, because, you know, anyway, I digress on that. Um, but you, you, have to, uh, you have to commit with your mouth, say, declare that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. But for some reason, culturally, we've kind of really removed ourselves from the Lord piece. And we've really put a high emphasis on the Savior piece. Like, like you, when you play Monopoly, you know, when you're going around the board and you land on a community chest or a, a chance card, what are you hoping to get? Get out of hell free card, get out of jail free card, right? And somehow we've diminished salvation to that, that all of a sudden Jesus is just gonna save us from our sins, he's gonna help us not go to hell and help us go to heaven, but then that's it and our faith kind of stops there. And so maybe after being saved, we'll do a couple of nice things. We'll, we'll give to some charities and, and we'll help some people out throughout our life. And maybe we'll go to church every now and again. But as long as we have that, that card that says, we believe in Jesus as our Savior, we're good. But do you know how many times the Bible references Jesus being our Lord and our Savior in Scripture? 640 times. Write that number down. 640 times in the New Testament. Do you want to know how many times it uses the word Lord? 616 times. And only 24 as Savior. For some reason, we've swung this pendulum in our culture. and I don't think it should be either one. I'm saying he is both. He is both our Lord and our Savior. And by being our Lord, that means that we have to submit to his authority. We have to submit to his rule and his reign. And in a culture that says, you do what you want to do, if you're in middle school or high school right now, that's what your your school's telling you, that's what your teachers are telling you, that's what the government's telling us, you do what you want to do. If it makes you feel good, then it's right. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. What God says is right, and often what you feel is wrong. And that's a big deal, Because we have diminished our faith to just this distant, yeah, I'm good, I'm not going to hell. But in fact, God has called us to something. A life of freedom in obedience to what he has for us. The Bible tells us the course to life. Not morality, not religion, to life. And if we disobey it, the Bible says that it will only bring us death And destruction. That is a big deal. Kids, that is a big deal. As you're growing up, to know that everything the world is going to tell you that's against this is only going to bring you death and destruction. The urges inside of you, the thoughts, the ideas inside of you that are against this will only bring you death and destruction. But what God says is, I will give you life and life to the full. But we have to submit. His authority, to what he wants, to what he desires. So we were once strangers and aliens. Now we are no longer strangers and aliens. So what do we have to do? We have to stop living as strangers and aliens. We have to stop it. So what does that mean? We have to stop living for another king. We have to stop. Playing by our own rules and acting like this world revolves around us. And I'm saying that as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm feeling it in here. Because I do that. I live my life around me. I live a very Bill-centric life. And I have to stop it. Because the stuff that I desire and I want will only, that's against this, will only bring me death. But the stuff that the Spirit has placed inside of me, that coincides with this, will bring me life. Life. And so I have to submit to his authority instead of a me-centered life. So let's take an inventory. Ready? Who gets the most of your time? Who gets the most of your time? 168 hours in a given week. Say you're sleeping for some of that, so maybe 112, 110 hours a week that you're awake. Who gets the majority of that time? And let's not play the victim here and say, oh, well, you know, I go to work for most of that. Because a lot of times, and often, especially in a room and in a community like we live in here in the top 2% of the world, we often go to work because we want to live a certain lifestyle. And so yeah, we may like be upset that we have to go to work or not like our job, but often we're not just working so that we can live, we're living so that we can work so that we can have a better lifestyle, a better retirement, a nicer, car or boat or house and so even when we play the victim and go well yeah the majority of my time goes to this or these things like often there's a very me-centric thing wrapped up in there maybe not you I'm sure it's not you it's definitely me so who gets the majority of your time what about your gifts what about your talents maybe God has gifted you to be a really good businessman maybe you're an amazing cook Maybe you have a warm personality. Uh, God has gifted you as a musician, um, someone who uh, is super athletic, um, someone who's really good with working with their hands, someone who's super smart, someone who's a good leader. Um, whatever the gifts that God has, has given you, who gets the most of those gifts? And who is glorified when you use those gifts the most? You or God? Time. You are God. What about your money? That's the hardest one because as soon as money's spoken in the church, everybody's like, oh, here we go again. Like, no, I don't need your money. I have a job outside of this. Like, like, everything, everything that we have, God has given to us. God, for some reason, Not your choice, by the way. For some reason, he's allowed you to be here in this town, in this community with the job that you have. You could have been born in a third world country. He could have allowed that to happen. But for some reason, he's given you some kind of grace and favor to place you in a place where we live in a culture of abundance. Who gets the majority of that abundance? Who gets the benefits of the majority of that Abundance. Are we using and stewarding what God has given us for His glory or for our own kingdoms? And again, I don't say that being like, oh, you're a bad person. No, no, I feel the weight of that. Because when I look at my bank statement at the end of the month, I can see a lot of me in it and very little of God's kingdom in it. But we have to stop living like we're citizens of this world. We have to stop living as strangers and aliens of forever. So stop living as strangers and aliens to God and his will and his desire and his wants. We need to start living as citizens. Let's look at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. There's an activeness on us. The Bible even, and over the summer, we're gonna be going through this series um, where in the book of Ephesians, Paul walks us through the things that we should stop and the things that we should start. um, And he uses the words put on, put off. right? Put on these things, put off these things. It's very similar to that. God is saying, stop living as a stranger and an alien of his household and start living as a citizen and a saint and a member of God and his household. And so, in context, he is speaking to the Gentiles, and he's talking about the saints, but, but again, he's not separating those. He's trying to call them to, to unite. He's calling them and inviting them to understand that God has created one church, one body, one family of God. God broke down the wall of hostility between the people. So what changed? Let's look back at verse 12 in chapter 2 because we just saw that in what we shouldn't be, but, but I want to show us the, what we are if we are no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens and saints of his household. So what do we see in chapter 2, verse 12? We are no longer separated, but we are one. We are one with God and all people. We cannot live divided, there cannot be disunity in the church when all of a sudden the church recarpets and it's a color that you don't like or that, that the, the youth group does bowling instead of laser tag, right? Like, so, so we can't disunify. Like, if it comes to something here that's clear and explicit, we need to stand firm to this word, but we need to be unified on who God is and what he has done for us. By grace you have been saved, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, lifting up his scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. We have to unify on those things. If we go back to that inventory of our time, our talents, and our resources, are we living one with God in our lives? Are we living one with one another in God's family? And as citizens, we see that we are no longer aliens I'm sorry, yeah, we're no longer aliens, but we are citizens. See, aliens have no rights. They do not belong, they do not participate. But we now need to be living as citizens of heaven, of a different home, of a different family. So the Bible calls us sojourners. We're we're like in this in-between. We're not there yet, but we need to live as though that's what's important. Our treasures are not of this world. They're from another world. And as citizens, we are no longer strangers, but we are children. The Bible over and over again uses this language of adopted, and it's beautiful. We have a new home. We are loved. We are known. And we belong. And then we are no longer helpless, but we have the fullness of hope. Are we a hope filled people? Or do we walk around and live as though we were hopeless? Sometimes, the people that I know that claim to be Christians are some of the most depressing, sluggish people I've ever met because this world has beaten them down. But this world is not our home so we can live in the midst of the turmoil and the hurt and the pain and the sickness and the pandemics. We can live with hope because this world is not our home. You know, I've seen this play out because this doesn't mean that we need to walk around like giddy and carefree all the time, like nothing bothers us. Like this world can be hard and we could struggle with some stuff. And, and Life is hard sometimes, but in the midst of those things, there is a hope that should fill us, that should cause us to look forward to eternity. I've seen this play out with my wife over the last couple of weeks. She had surgery a couple weeks back and, and the surgery actually went really, really well. But while they were putting the IV in her, they, they pumped them too fast and now she has clots in her arm from her hand all the way up to her arm. And We went to the doctor this week and they said that there's a chance that some of those veins may never open up again. But I have watched my bride walk faithfully through the season. She has not let it hurt how she disciples our kids. She has not let it hurt how she loves me. Even the other day when we were walking down the street, I like to be on the street side. um, And I went to grab her hand and it's the hand that she's wearing her cool sleeve on, um, the compression sleeve. uh, And... uh, I went to grab her hand, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, 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 I want to hold your hand. Like, she is, is thinking about everybody else still. I've seen her walk this road filled with hope. Miguel, your wife Natalie, I've seen you guys over the last couple of months walk with hope as you begin try this process of starting your family. But you keep your eyes fixed and focused on Jesus in this point. Sean, Nadia, I've watched you guys in this season depend fully on Christ. Malin, Paula, Ed and Debbie, like I could just keep going. Ed, like I've watched you walk in these seasons where you're experiencing some brokenness, some hurt, severed relationships, issues with, like I've seen you walk with hope. Are we a hopeless people? Are we a people filled with hope even when things aren't going well? Because in those moments is when the gospel is proclaimed. And that's good news. As citizens, we are no longer hopeless, but have the fullness of hope in the last one. We are no longer without God. And this is why we're and this is why we're not hopeless anymore. Because now we have God. There is a real God. This didn't all just appear you didn't one day wiggle out of the water as a worm and now all of a sudden you're you. We're not monkeys. Like We're real people created by a real God. And we have him. He's not distant. He's not out there somewhere. And sometimes I even think that we do a, a disservice by talking about the man upstairs because that makes him seem so other than He is present. He is here. He is with us. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. We have God. So are we living our lives on our own, like we have the power to do everything that we need to do on our own, or are we living like we have an all-powerful, all-knowing God who is with us every single step of the way? even when things don't go the way we want them to. So how can we respond to this good news? I mean, this is good news that that we are one, that we are citizens, we are children, we have the fullness of hope, and that we have God. What do we do with this? So what does it mean to be fellow citizens and members of the household of God? Well, good news, Tim next week is gonna talk about how we are members of the household of God, and I'm super pumped and excited about what God is gonna speak through him. But how do we live as fellow citizens and members? We love God together. We love others together. And we make disciples together. That's what it means to be fellow citizens and members of the household of God. That we love him together. That we love others together. And that we make disciples together. If and I say this very sensitively, if you're looking for a place, if you're new here and you're looking for a place, or maybe you've been here for a couple weeks checking things out, that um, you can kind of just come in and come out and, and just kind of sit and, and uh, hear a good message and laugh a little bit and see Baby Yoda and then leave and not really participate in the life of the family, this may not be the church for you. I know a ton of churches that we can plug you into that have some great sermons and some great bands that you can listen to, but God did not call me or Tim or our elders or our leadership team to allow people, the people of God, to sit and do nothing. But he's actually called us as the elders to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We don't hire that out to staff members. We don't hire that out to other people. God has called us to equip you, the members, to do the work of the ministry, and in saying that, like I, I think of this story of the uh, sons of Sceva. So this is in the New Testament, and and the sons of the Jewish priests at the time went out, and people were demon possessed, and they tried to cast out those demons, and the demons actually spoke out against these sons of Sceva, and they said this: the demons said this, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize, but who are you? I never want that to be said of our people. I never want that to be said of true believers who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As we are going throughout our lives and loving God and loving others and making disciples, and we are, we're doing the will of the Lord, I never want to come to a place where you uh, are, are standing before anyone to say that God has no idea who you are or that even the demons have no idea who you are because you're not making an impact. I want you to be, I want, I want, the, I want evil to be scared of you. I want to equip and empower you in such a way that you are creating a dent in the deadness that we live in of this life. Even yesterday watching uh, Top Gun, saw the new Top Gun, uh, Maverick. It was awesome. Go see it. Um, but there was a, a moment where there was an army officer, an admiral that had passed away. And he had all these medals and the, all these uh, great accomplishments in the world. He had such a huge dent. And I had this overwhelming feeling at that moment of like, what am I doing with my life? Like this guy has saved so many people. Um, and, and I'm going, man, like, do you desire to have that type of influence for the kingdom of God in your life? to make an impact on this world, not for your name, but for the kingdom of God. There are people all around you in your circle of accountability that are lost, that are broken, and are going to spend an eternity apart from God if they do not believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you may be the only one in their lives that that has the ability and the desire from the spirit that's placed within you to share good news with them. My desire is to equip you to go and make disciples, not to fill this building, for you to go and build his kingdom. So living as fellow saints, living as fellow members of the household of God means that we link arms and we do this together. We all participate. We use our time, our talents, and our resources all together Tim has a full-time job outside of here. I have a full-time job. Steve, he has a full-time job outside of here. But God has called us together to unite, to lead a people to do the same, to go and make disciples of Jesus. Amen? Amen? So here's what we're gonna do. There's, some practic- There's one practical way. I'm gonna invite the band to come back on up. There's a practical way we're gonna respond. Under your chairs is a form. Um, and under your chairs is this, like, if you don't have one, um, there are some uh, ushers and stuff that have some extra ones that you can raise your hand. Um, and what we're going to ask of you is that you fill this out. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, we've done this before. We filled out a survey. Um, we've given you our information. We are revamping our database, and we want to communicate more effectively and better with you. Um, and so Logan, uh, one of our uh, pastoral residence is now in town. He's going to be helping uh, get that up and rolling. There's Logan right there. Let's hear it for Logan. Um, and so we're revamping our, uh, our database so that we can communicate more effectively with you um, and also equip you better to live out your gifts. Um, so this is a two-sided thing. Um, so if you, even if you've filled this out before, even if you've done this before, um, please fill this out. And then what we're going to do is there's going to be some ushers that are going to go around and collect these. Um, And as they're collecting them, um, we're also going to take an offering at this point. And we've never done that before. Normally, we just have boxes in the back. But doing stuff like this is not just um, part of being a part of an organization. This is actually an act of worship. What you're doing right now is you're informing the elders and our leaders how God has wired and gifted you. And as an act of worship, what we want you to do is sit and pray with this. We don't want you to just put it in the basket because the pastor told me to do that. I know that if you have that attitude, you're just not going to do it. And that's fine. Um, For those of you that, that can, fill this out. And as an act of worship, we want you to take this and place this inside of the basket, saying, God, I am giving you my gifts, my talents, my abilities. And offering is the same thing. When we when we give to the Lord, we're giving to the Lord. And that's an act of worship. So for many of you, um, I know that like 46 new families have started giving online over the last couple months, 20 reoccurring givers. Um, but sometimes when we do that, we can forget that that's worship. Um, we're just giving to give because we know we're supposed to give because um, you know that's something that we wanna live in obedience for, but that's worship. So worship is not just when we sing. Worship is when we give our time, our talents, our treasures, our resources to the Lord. And so as they're passing these, feel free if if you give here in person to put that in the basket as well. If you give online, I want you to mentally remember that when the basket comes by you, that you have given online and that's an act of worship unto the Lord. These are not just things that we do because it's a church setting and we have to do it. We really do want to create an environment of worship with these things because this is us giving back to the Lord all that he has given us. This is what it means to live in the household of God. And what we can do with this information is we can begin to equip and empower you to live out the gospel within this community. And that's our hope, is that we create a team of people that are linking arms together so that we can make an impact on this community for the name of Jesus. So as we go into this time, I'm gonna actually ha- hit pause on you filling it out. I'm gonna pray over us. I'm gonna pray over your gifts and your talents and your resources um, that we get to steward faithfully for the Lord. And even for Tim and I, we don't take this lightly and I want you to know that. Because you just by you filling out that card, the Lord says we're gonna be held accountable to how we equip you. To those things, So we do take this very seriously and we want to see you live in biblical community. We wanna see you grow in your faith and we wanna see you be empowered and equipped to share the gospel with every man, woman, and child in our neighborhood. So I'm gonna pray over us and then you can keep filling them out and then they're gonna give you a minute or so to finish uh, and they'll come around and collect those. Um, but thank you for doing this as an act of worship unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are no longer strangers and aliens but we are citizens of your household we have been adopted you call us beloved and so father right now I lift up every person that's in this room whether they are visiting or here as a regular attender a member a leader God you have given each and every one of us gifts and talents And God, we see in scripture that those talents that have been given to us are to be used for your glory, for your name. And so God, as we come around and collect these things, I pray that we don't do this begrudgingly, that we don't do this under compulsion, but we actually do this as an act of worship. That we do this for your name, for your glory, so that we can be equipped and empowered to love you, love others, and make disciples. God, if there's anybody here today that has not confessed with their mouth that you are Lord and believed that you have raised from the dead and received you as their Savior, God, I pray right now that they wouldn't be distracted by baskets being passed or, or um, filling out a card, but that they would actually sit and your spirit would stir a new life in their hearts. In their minds, God, I know for certain that every single question that is in their mind will not be answered. We will always have questions. Paul and Peter, your disciples, even called uh, the called it in Scripture the mystery of Christ. But God, I pray that in faith they would begin to believe in you because of a work that you have done. God, I thank you for next week as we look towards baptisms. And I pray that your name would be glorified as people have been transformed by your gospel. God, thank you for every person here and everybody that's represented that's not here. And I pray that we would be the type of church that if we ceased to exist, the community would miss us. We love you, we thank you. It's in your name that we pray.